This is Mark Wilkie. He's from Calvary Ballard. And you're one of the elders over there? I am an elder at Calvary Ballard, yes. All righty. And he is going to deliver the message today. So. Yes. Thank you for coming. Sure. Thank you. And this is fantastic. Lord yeah, bless you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pure, it's an actual honor to be here to share with you uh, today. Um, I think without further ado, let's uh, jump right in. We're going we're gonna to be in... Um, did, it, did the scripture actually make it onto the, maybe, maybe not? Look at that. Okay. Now, here's what's cool. Everybody that knows me knows that how much scripture there is depends, like that determines how long I talk. And so I think Mike has a bit of a reputation for going somewhat longer than most Calvary people. So I feel like this is a competition, <laughs> right? Right? So I'll... Try and beat it. What do you guys think? Yeah? That's a trick. I'm not going to do that. I won't. Thank you. That's exactly right. <laughs> Richard, just get to the point. I think, I think that's exactly right. Okay, so without further ado, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. This is a parable of the 10 versions, Matthew chapter 25. And uh, so I'm going to read this fairly quickly. Uh, and, then, and then we'll kind of... Part of this is... Um, you know, dissecting the scripture, and part of it is what this points to. And um, anyway, well, I'll get ahead of myself. Okay, chapter 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven will be like... Now, first off, I'm, you, I have this terrible habit. I interrupt myself before I've even said anything. So right there, I just did that. The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, one of the things you might want to do is a, it's like a little... Oh, what, what do they call that? What's the literary term? It's, it's a foreshadowing, right? It's not really a foreshadow because it literally just says it. But this is going to be kind of our theme, this notion of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, the kingdom of heaven will be like, so what's it like? What's this kingdom of heaven like? Well, Jesus is talking here, and he goes, it's like ten virgins who took out their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Uh, this is a Jewish tradition. We don't do that anymore. I mean, it might be kind of fun. We all had lamps and Sorry, I diverge. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And the bridegroom was delayed, and they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And then all those virgins rose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go to the dealer and buy for yourselves. But while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Wops, therefore, Jesus said, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I think for those of you who have been to church, you've heard this quite a bit. So next it moves on to verse 14, parable of the talents. Usually, these are not taught together, by the way, which is a little bit funny to me, but anyway, we'll continue. For it will be like a man. What is it? Thank you. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two, and another, one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. He also had received five talents, went out once, traded with them, and 
He who had received five talents went out at once, traded with them, and made five more. So also the one that had two, he made two more. But the one who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the money. And he who had received five talents came from, oh, sorry. Then after a long time, the master came back to settle accounts. He who had five came forward, bringing five more. And the master says, wow, good, good job, good faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you gave me two, and here are two more. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Notice, exactly the same reward was not dependent on how many talents. We were not going to talk about that too much, but just putting that out. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter joy. 24. He also who had received the one talent said, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to them who has ten. For to everyone who has will be more given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty harsh. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So we switch now, right? He says, like, here's the, this is what the kingdom is like. Now uh, Jesus is pointing to the future. <clears throat> then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats to his left. Um, just real quick, because we're not going to go into this very much. Sheep means like uh, the, the God's flock, children of God, um, folks that are saved, people that have received Christ in their heart. Goats are people that have not. All right. Then the king will say to his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom I have prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What's this kingdom? Yep. Here's the interesting part. 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did, you, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, But Lord, we didn't see you hungry and thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison. 
And then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for today. Um, the sun this morning was even more pretty after the rain came and kind of washed away. Lord, I just pray in a similar way that you would send your spirit, that your presence, that, that you yourself would come and kind of clear away some of the soot, some of the stuff in the air, just, just clear things away so that we can see you more clearly. Lord, that, so that your words, so that your scriptures, so the truth of who you are can come through in a, much, in a very real way, Lord. Um, help me to get out of the way and uh, each of us to just touch you. Your name, amen. So this passage, first off, just, I'm curious. Um, raise your hand if you've heard this preached or taught before, this passage. Not everybody. Okay, fair enough. So this passage traditionally is taught from an apocalyptic point of view. Um, apocalyptic meaning end of the world, so on and so forth. That's generally how this passage is taught. Although, very often, the parable of the talents is ripped out of context and taught like just in and of itself. And honestly, all this is fair and good. Like, I think that all makes sense. We're told, always be ready because no one knows the day or the hour, right? That was from the virgins. Um, <laughs> so I'm old enough, and I remember Larry Norman's song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. <clears throat> and uh, anyone see the movie Thief in the Night? It's terrifying. I saw it as a child on a 16-millimeter singer thing. And uh, from then on, if I didn't know where my parents were, I thought for sure the rapture happened and I was left behind. It was incredible. Anyway, if you ever get a chance, I think it's on YouTube. It's quite something. I, I, it is like, wow, okay. Probably many people got saved from it. I have no idea. I didn't really get saved. I just got terrified. It's a little bit different. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're told, right, talents, work hard with what you have, and then you will be judged well. I mean, that's true. And that's kind of the traditional way. Of, uh, this is good. But I think this morning what I would like to do, or as I was conversing with God and arguing with him about this, we sort of agreed on meaning God said, and then I agreed. <laughs> um, that's the way it usually works. I argue, and then there's no compromise. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what about what happens before the final judgment? Meaning today. How does that work? You know, usually it's just, hey, take the talents and do good. Okay, there you go. Go, do it. Be watchful. Just do it. Decide. I mean, how hard can it be? That leaves me somewhat wanting, usually, because I don't, one, I don't really know what that means, and two, uh, I can't, quite honestly. So, sorry? I, I can't, I, I can't, uh, it's, it's a great question. <laughs> uh, I can't just try harder. I mean, I can try harder, but I can't do what I should do with my talents. I, I can't, just my own self. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I, I can't be as watchful as I should be. I can't be the kind of Christian, the kind of person, the kind of man, the kind of husband, the kind of friend that I want to be. I cannot. 
My own self keeps getting in the way. I need God. So what does it mean to keep our our wicks trimmed or our lamps full of oil? Like today, what does it mean to use our talents? And And the thing that I would like to propose is that the kingdom of heaven, what it means is, is to operate in the kingdom of heaven, which is both here and now, but not quite yet. The kingdom, God's kingdom, isn't just about trying harder. It's not being scared of something that comes. It's not just about heaven that is coming. It is about the here and now. When we hear the term God's kingdom, we usually think of heaven. We usually think of something that happens after we die. But more than that, God's kingdom, his economy, his city, is something that we're invited to participate in now, to experience now. This reality has really has been something that's been growing in me for the last, I don't know, decade or so. Uh, and, and I feel like every week it's just that much more real. More and more, I see God's kingdom at work around me. What do I mean by that? Well, for me, this is what God's kingdom looks like. And again, it's kind of a lens or a frame. But for me, I see eating with good friends. it's, It's literally almost overwhelming to me these days how much joy erupts from something so simple. Or watching others, this sounds strange, but this just happened to me. Watching others be with folks who are experiencing deep grief. It's, you're watching the kingdom of heaven in play. Um, this um, e- extreme generosity. I remember a few years ago, there was a family who needed a car and um, this gal, she was like 20-something, just gave them hers. What in the world? What? Like extreme, like, I'm like, wow, God's kingdom at work. An offer to help people move. Folks bringing donuts, watching and participating and being with you all this morning. I mean, it doesn't seem crazy, right? Like, it's not some super spiritual thing, but don't you think, like, didn't some of you at least experience just a touch of the eternal this morning? Just a touch? I did. My two boys. Yesterday was my birthday. Um, I turned 25. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, they, they made a special effort and came and we were family. Wow. God's kingdom. We watched... Game five of the Stanley Cup Finals. Silly, nonsense. Great. Great. With eternal significance, I firmly believe. My amazing wife. I mean, no wonder that marriage is used as an analogy throughout the Bible. Because it really is something. I see God in my wife. Not because she's perfect, but because that archetype is something that's so amazing. Sunsets and sunrises. This morning's sunset was incredible. Or things like me, practicing letting go, 
learning that I don't have to understand things, but I do need to just simply follow Jesus. Or the kingdom of heaven, think about how what Jesus did. Remember, Jesus is God, right? It's a, one of the core tenets of our theology. It's sort of the dogma. It's part of what we believe as evangelicals. Jesus is God incarnate, born of a virgin, miraculous birth, lived and died a uh, sinless life, rose again in the third day so that we could be saved. So as God, wouldn't it make sense that as he did stuff and walked around, that that's sort of how the kingdom worked? I mean, how could it be another way, right? I mean, it only makes logical sense. So what did, what did Jesus do? He was always trying to explain things with parables of like, the kingdom of heaven is like, we, we read two of them this morning. There are many more. The pearl of great price. And the list goes on. Look at how he treated his family. Both enjoying and loving his family, being kind and compassionate, as well as saying, oh, that's not my family. My real family is. What? Whoa, what? How he dealt with politics. Love how he dealt with politics. Should we pay taxes? Give, what to, give to Caesar what belongs to him. But give to God what belongs to him. Politics. Or, sorry. Uh, religious leadership. You know, one of the things that I always sort of like in Mount Aya is how rude Jesus was. It's like, for example, <laughs> you know, he was invited, right, to uh, the religious leaders. Now, just in context, because sometimes we vilify these people. We kind of make it into a movie. Remember, religious leaders, that would be like me, okay? I mean, I'm not really a leader. I'm more of a lay leader, but that's like literally, like let's not go too far afield here. Like that, that was their church. That was, that was them. Okay, what's the point? Well, there's a couple of them here, but let's not forget, like when I say I can be part of the problem, I really mean that. Like these guys missed it. I can too. Miss the forest for the trees or whatever you want to call it. You know, chances are that for the most part, these folks had the best of intentions. And they missed it. So anyway, being a leader, that's a scary thing. But how rude Jesus was. <laughs> okay, so it's like, okay, okay, this guy's creating trouble. So we know, okay, we're going to extend an olive branch. We're going to try and patch things up. Let's invite him over for dinner, right? So it says Jesus was reclining. So they're chatting. Gotta wonder what they chatted about. That would be wild. And then what happens? This prostitute breaks in or gets into the courtyard, right? And, 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 and starts uh, uh, anointing Jesus, basically. And the religious leaders are like, wait a minute. You, don't you, if you, if you were really from God, you would know that she's a sinner. And God, Jesus, just went off. You den of vipers. You care about what's on the outside of the cup and not on the inside of the cup. And ended with, I came here for the sick, not for the people that were good. This is the kingdom of heaven. How did he deal with his disciples? Friends. He hung out. As far as I can tell, he was kind of a funny guy. Enjoyable to be around, truly. And also, hard-hitting. Not a mamsy-pamsy. 
But how can the kingdom of God be here now? This world is so broken. It is, folks. It's broken. Fundamentally busted. And depending on your view, getting worse. So much pain, disappointment, sickness, death. If you just think back this week, likely each one of you have experienced something not great at all. Even in one week. How can this be the kingdom of heaven? How can this be God's kingdom? No, it's true. This world is messed up. However, it's more true that Jesus conquered everything that is wrong. That Jesus superseded all of this wrong. That all of the wrongs will be made right to, make, to actually say out loud the cliche. He, God, Jesus, miraculously takes what is broken, takes what is wrong, and turns it into goodness. Hurt, sickness, abuse, death itself makes it good. How? It's a miracle. I, I don't know. That's what he does. He did it in his own death. Chronicles of Narnia, I think, got it really well. I distinctly remember when my mom read me the, um, well, it's arguably the first book, so Lion, Original Wardrobe, where Aslan gets murdered. And I remember that despair. I'll never forget that. Like, oh, no. C.S. Lewis did such a great job, right, of like, all is lost. How can this be? Things were set up so well, and then... And then the which one? How? How could this be? And as we see in the Bible, God takes that, which obviously wasn't meant to be, but he takes that and literally uses it to save us all. Uses it for good in its deepest sense. God, to use the cliche, literally is able to turn lemons into lemonade. I can't believe I just said that, by the way, but there you have it. And the way he wants to do that is he wants to come in and live with you. Okay, so first off, I'm going I'm to emphasize this real, real quick. He wants to come in and live with you. He doesn't, he's not saying, do this, do that, do this. He's not having a checklist. He's not, this isn't what it's about. And I'll give you a little hint here of what's coming. It's worse. We want a checklist. And God's like, nope, I want to live with you. We'll get to that more. Notice, Jesus in the Bible, he's the one knocking, not us. Jesus is the one asking, hoping, pleading that, you'll let, that you will let him in. As depicted in the prodigal of the, of the of, um, as depicted in the parable, let's get these words in the right order, of the, pro, of the, the parable of the prodigal son. What, what does it say? It says that the father was looking and saw far off. Oh, he so desperately wanted his boys back. And by the way, not just the boy that had run away, right? But the, quote, good one, too, that ran off into the field and pouted. That one, too. The father wanted his boys back. And he wants us, too. 
We're the one who doesn't want to let Jesus in. And the reason is, well, I can't answer for you. I'll just answer for me. I really don't like Jesus messing up all the things I have going on. Because I have a way that I think the world should be. I have what I think should happen. And Jesus comes in. And guess what? He doesn't always agree with me. Very disruptive. That is basically the definition of sin. Going our own way. Not hating the mark. Being wrong. It's the thing that separates us from God. Not through some mystical idea or some rule that someone made up for the game. But literally, we're saying, Lord, I'm not going to let you in. Well, guess what? Now there's separation. We're going our own way. Instead of an almighty God and serving this almighty God that has his own ideas and plan for us, we would much rather have something like, I don't know, Angie's List, which I think is called The List Now or Angie's, I don't know, whatever. Like we need something done, right? Um, my car's busted. Okay, Angie's List. Lord, I need you to fix my car. Done. Angie's List. That's what we want. Oh, um, maybe you don't. I do. That's what I want. Uh, I want God to be my doctor. Now, it's super true. God is the great healer. But notice the frame here. I'm cruising along, doing what I want. I'm like, ah, my back hurts. Lord, fix my back. We want a doctor. We want a blessing dispenser. Okay, now think of how cool this would be. Right? Cruising along, and there's a, one of those vending machines with no longer are you stuck without change or dollar bills, right? Nope. All you need is your phone. It was pretty funny. A few years ago, my youngest is like, Dad, I'm doomed. What, what happened? My school put in a dispenser, and it's tap to pay. I'm done. You know, beep. Out comes the thing. What if, I mean, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, okay, fine. If I'm being honest with myself, that sounds amazing. If God was a blessing dispenser, oh, I'm not really feeling that good today. Beep. What's the payment? Oh, I presume it's stuff like, you know, praying, doing devotions, doing good stuff not having lustful thoughts, being, not being nice. I don't know, being a good Christian. Isn't that the payment? I mean, don't we look at the God that way so much? I mean, I do. Maybe I'm not, maybe you, you all are amazing, not that way, but I mean. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to be sure and say this. God loves answering our prayers to fix our car and to heal us and to have us have a better day. He loves doing that. I am not saying that we shouldn't pray those. We should. I'm getting to what's the context. Which kingdom are we operating in when we ask these? What do you mean? Well, the kingdom. What if, let's do a thought experiment. Just for a minute, okay? What if literally 
God did whatever we wanted? What if God did whatever we wanted? What if God was a genie? You know the fairy tale where you get wishes? Okay, by the way, why is it that no one ever wishes for infinite wishes? I don't understand this. Okay? I mean, you only get three wishes, but the first wish should always be, I wish that I had all the wishes I ever wanted. Okay, sorry. That is a diversion. Don't worry about it. It's not pertinent to what I'm trying to talk about. So let's, let's talk about this. What, this thought experiment. What if God did whatever we wanted, always, whenever we wanted to? Think about that just for a minute. So let's make it personal. Each of you, you don't want to, don't say it out loud. <laughs> Think about what you want right now that you wish God did. Just for a minute. Okay. Think. You got it? Chances are, it's not trivial, it's big, and it's probably really good, right? So what if God did that for each of you? What kind of kingdom is that? That's the kingdom of man, because that's God doing what you want. Where do you think that ends up? Uh, okay, uh, I'm not advocating this because it's a pretty uh, dark book, but I'll just say it anyways. There's this kind of a fun, interesting, I should say, not fun, interesting, science fiction book called Altered Carbon. Anyone read that by any chance? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Altered Carbon. I enjoyed it. It was an interesting read. One of the main premises that there's this class of people who, I won't go into the details, but essentially they have found eternal life by uploading their consciousness into new clone bodies, which are called sleeves. And so this idea is that the ultra-rich just never die because every time their body gets old or broken or whatever, they just go again into a new body. And so they live hundreds of years and amass wealth beyond comprehension. And they're essentially demigods that operate. And then there's all the rest of the people who can't afford that, and the people that are in power won't let them afford that. So it's sort of like our current society, but literally like way beyond. Okay, so what's the point, Mark? Well, the point is, it struck me. That's sort of like what it would be like. This has a kind of a picture of what it would be like if we had the power to have God do whatever we wanted. What that would mean is that we were God. And by the way, that is the primary sin that we want to be God. So we know we can't be God, so we ask God to do stuff for us. Remember, and if we're operating in our construct, then that's just trying to be God. We need to live in God's kingdom. The lie is, and it's a lie, the lie is that whatever I think is important, whatever I think I really need, 
so-and-so to be healed, a marriage to be uh, healed. I mean, these are all good things. I'm not trying to say anything like that. But the lie is that whatever we think we really need is what's right. And that's a lie. And the lie is because it's what I want, the word I. That's the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God is about what God wants. I'm tempted to say, I want God to do what I want. And somehow, he will if I'm good enough. Instead, God wants a deep and intimate relation with me. He wants to come live, not just with me, but in me. God's economy, his kingdom, the one that's here already, but, but not yet. That one is centered on relationships, but one in particular, and that is with Jesus Christ. You see, we're not alone. Not only is his kingdom centered on Jesus, but it includes each of us. For me, this is one of the biggest joys. It's, it's when we try, it's when I try and go it alone that I get in trouble. It turns out that pride really is deadly. God is not here to help us. Think about that just for a minute. Is God here to help you? You know, it's funny. Um, this gets into the God of the Gap. <laughs> Anyone heard God of the Gap idea? Okay, this God of the Gap, it's this theory that, it's this way of thinking. It's not really preached so much, it's just sort of emerges. And it's this idea that I do the best I can, and then God finishes the gap. Makes sense, right? I mean, if you think of a graph, right? Like, like here's nothing, and here's perfection. So I try my best, and then God does the rest. Okay, got it? Here's the problem. <laughs> This implies that the more that God changes me into the person of Jesus, the less God has to do. Whoops. Whoops. That's kingdom of man. That's not kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is when we are fully, fully relying on God. God doesn't want to help us. He doesn't want to fill the gap. He wants to save us. He wants to change our construct entirely. He wants to change everything. In fact, he wants to make us a new creation. That is what God wants. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. Let's not get the cart before the horse. You see, with Jesus taking up residence in my heart, in my life, God's kingdom is at hand here, but not yet. So what's his kingdom? It's wherever God is ruling. It's where he reigns. Yes, it involves conflict, not just with us, but with, the Bible says, principalities, the devil, demons. It's upside down. The last shall be first. What seems obvious is not. 
Remember in the Bible where the disciples' moms were fighting over who would be first in the kingdom? Yeah, that's the wrong way around. When Jesus says the kingdom is near, he means that his rule is right here, but not perfect. It's what we see in our everyday life. That may not be spectacular, and it may be like, hmm, I don't really, but it, that's the good news because it's, well, ordinary. God's kingdom will come in conflict with what we want. Guaranteed. Why? Because we're not God. So the question is, what happens when that happens? What happens when God's kingdom disagrees with what we deeply believe is right? What happens? The Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, he wrote, quote, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of universe, and of the mystery of human life. Let me read that again. Justice Kennedy. At the heart of liberty is the right, God-given right, to define one's own concept of existence, meaning, and universe, and mystery of human life. Sounds right, I think. Here's the thing, though. Christianity, the Bible, pushes back hard against this claim. The Bible says very clearly that liberty, existence, meaning, human life, those are determined by God. And anything less than that is not working out. It almost feels weird to say that out loud, doesn't it? One of my uh, favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, in his, one of his books called Listening to Your Life, he wrote uh, another book, one of my favorites, called uh, Gospel, Fairy Tale, Tragedy, and something. But this one, Listening to Your Life, here's a quote from him. He's typically hard-hitting. I like this. If the world is sane, he writes, then Jesus is mad as a hatter, and the Last Supper is the mad tea party. There's an opening line for you. The world says, mind your own business. But Jesus says, there is no such thing as your own business. The world says, follow the wisest course and be a success. Jesus says, follow me and be crucified. The world says, drive carefully. The life you save might be your own. And Jesus says, Whoever will save his life will lose it. The world says, get. Jesus says, give. In terms of the world's sanity, Jesus is crazy as a coot. And anyone who thinks he can follow him without also being crazy is laboring less under the cross than under a delusion. Like this... Like the disciples, Jesus is calling each of us. He's calling me, he's calling you, he's calling all of us to follow him, to be a mad hatter, in the words of Frederick. Where? Where are we supposed to follow him to? Well, that's the thing. We don't know. That's why we're following him. 
Because we want to know because we want to be in control and we want to be in charge and we want to see what's happening and we want to understand. And God says, follow me. I have this reoccurring argument with the Lord. He, he, Lord, when I was in my 20s, he gave me a vision and it was really clear and I knew it was from God. And to be honest, it hasn't come to fruition. Um, and I'm 25, so I'm almost done with life. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, every once in a while I have this argument with him and I go, Lord, you know, what's going on here? And I have all these reasons and blah, blah, blah. And I say this, this, and that, and the other thing. And God says, yep, yep, no, no, it all makes sense. Perfect. Yep, yep. Those are great arguments, Mark. They're fantastic. Oh, that's a new one, Mark. Good job. Glad you thought of that one too. And then when I'm all done, there's a silence, a pause. Right? And you know what God asked me? It's always the same question. God asks but am I God? Crud. Crud. Yes. Yes, you are, Lord. And then he's like, great. No explanation. Just that. You see, I'm forced to, again, follow God. I have to make the choice, again, to either participate in God's kingdom or do my own thing. So what does participating in God's kingdom look like? Well, learning to be fully dependent on God. Letting God himself perfect our love, not just trying harder. They're called fruits of the Spirit. The tree doesn't try really hard to make fruits of the Spirit. It's a natural part of being a tree. Embracing the adventure that is the upside-down nature, the madness of the kingdom of heaven, right? Practicing trust, putting our weight in the person of Jesus, Learning obedience, which requires discipline, by the way. Sorry, I don't like that. Choosing to put our own wishes and dreams aside because those wishes are broken and need to be healed. In order for us to be our best selves, we have to give ourselves up. This includes the miraculous, things outside of the natural order. The biggest is ourselves, like being changed but also physical healing, healing of relationships, the list goes on. And of course, being engaged in the world around us. Remember, we just read in the scripture um, how I was hungry, I was unclothed, I was naked. Are we engaged with the world around us? The people that are down and out, are we engaged? Death, both physical and of our soul, was never what God wanted. That's not in the plan. God conquered death by, by sending his only son so that he could make us into a new creation. The notion that death is part of life, this is a common mantra you hear these days, that is something that we've constructed in order to deal with the reality of the world. It was never in the plan. Like sin, death is a distortion of what was meant to be. Think about that, by the way. Sin is not, cannot stand on its own. Sin can only distort or ruin something that's already there. There is no death without life. Jesus says we must be born again. When confronted with, a morale, with our own mortality, very often love 
This is in the context of the kingdom of heaven. Love breaks through. I, I very, in a tangential way, very short, briefly, walked with a family that's in our, and it was tragic. They, they lost their baby after 18 hours. It's, it's heartbreaking. Truly heartbreaking. Um, you know, when you ask, how are they doing? The, the answer is terrible. Here's the thing, though. I, I, I can't explain it. You have to be in God's kingdom to even get a small glimpse. But wow, God was at work. Not because he made them feel better. That's what we want. But because good things were happening. God took the bad. God took the awful. God took death, which is never meant to be, and made it good. Not just like, okay. No. Good. Truly good. That's what God does. That's what he's in the business of doing. What if we were able to live in that kind of love forever? Folks, that's what heaven is about. That is what the kingdom of heaven is that's not here yet. But we get to experience it briefly here. This life is not good. But remember, like the famous sermon, yes, it's Friday. But Sundays are coming. Friday meaning that's the day our Lord was crucified. But he will be resurrected. New life on Sunday. Yes, our world is busted, deeply broken. In short, it feels like it's Friday. The good news is that Sundays are coming. Like the contractions of a child of birth, we go through cycles of feeling like Friday and all is lost. And then God breaks through on Sunday. But this is just the kingdom of heaven now. One day, it won't just be a contraction. It'll be the actual birth of God's new kingdom. For today, though, here's the cool thing. We can feel it kick God's kingdom. We can hear the heartbeat. We can anticipate the cry. Andrew Peterson, in his song, Don't You Want to Just Thank Someone? Uh, this song speaks of the longing of heaven. I presume you were not able to. Yeah. Uh, it speaks of the eternity that was put in. I just want to read some of the, some of the lyrics because I, I feel like I really did a great job in focusing our attention on Jesus and this notion of the kingdom of heaven, which we only see shadows, but we get to participate in. Folks, how do I impress? Like, seek God. His kingdom is so good. And it involves each of you. I'm going to read some of the lyrics. If you ever get a chance, it's Andrew Peterson. Probably some of you have heard it. It's a fairly famous song. I, I uh, edited some of it. Don't you ever wonder why, in spite of all that's wrong here, that there's still so much that goes right and that beauty abounds? Don't you wonder why? I used to be a little boy as golden as the sunrise breaking over Illinois when the corn was tall. Yeah, 
But every little boy grows up and is haunted by that heart that died. Longing for a world that was before the fall. Do you feel that longing? Oh, but then forgiveness came. A grace that I cannot resist. And now I see the world has changed. It's glimmering with promises written in the script of the stars, dripping from the prophet's lips. Don't believe me? Read Isaiah. But still my thirst is never slated. I am hounded by a restlessness, eaten by this endless ache. Because I can see it in the seas of wheat. I can feel it when the horses run. It's howling through the snowy peaks. It's blazing in the midnight sun. And just behind that veil of wind, a million angels, a million angels waiting in the wings, a swirling storm of cherubim, making ready for the reckoning. How long? How long? Oh, how long? And when the world is new again, and the children of the king, it's us, are ancient in their youth again. Don't you love that? The little come as children, right? Maybe it's a better thing. Maybe it's actually better. To be more than merely innocent, like the angels, perfect, right? But to be broken and redeemed by love. This old world is bent, but it's waking up. Yes, it's waking up. Because I can hear the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready for the kingdom come. It's time to give thanks for the kingdom of heaven. Participate in it fully. As C.S. Lewis says, be surprised by joy. When's the last time you were surprised by joy? You're just doing your thing. Poof. That's how it is in God's kingdom. As you grow older, not to have your world shrink in on itself because you're protecting, but to be ever more expanding and full and abundant. Look to the person next to you. Do it, literally. Be uncomfortable. (laughs) Enjoy. Go have lunch with God's family today. Do it. Observe, relish, each of our awkward attempts to try and express our love. Help somebody move, fix something, mow their lawn, have coffee, call someone just because, send them a text, go for a walk. Believe the best in someone, all the while knowing that they're messed up, just like you. Be stupid, generous, expecting nothing in return. Sit with those in grief knowing you have no idea what to say and can't fix it. Don't you think these things are sacred? They are. It's part of the kingdom of heaven. This is joy. Living in the kingdom of heaven. Don't you want to thank someone? Let's let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for you and all that you've done in, <laughs> in your kingdom. Lord, thank you that it's not this thing that's far off. It's already here. And, but it's just a glimpse. It's so little. 
And Lord, we would be remiss. Let's, if we just take a moment, Lord. Because you are knocking. You're knocking. You're not knocking at our door to sell us something. You're not knocking because you want to be a dispensary of blessings and good stuff. You're knocking because you want to come in and live with us. You want to live in us. You want to create a new creation. You want us to be, well, born again. The problem is we have our own ideas, Lord. And Lord, I repent of that. I repent of wanting my own way. I repent of thinking what is, that I know what's right. I repent. I repent for thinking I know better. I, rep- I, I do, I repent. Lord, teach me. Thank you for your grace. Forgive me. Forgive me for thinking I know where to go. Bring me back into the fold because as the chorus goes, there's no better place than in your court. There's no better place than your kingdom, Lord. I want to play with your blessings in your living room. I want you, I want to be with you. And that's what you want too. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for having this kingdom that we get to experience here and now, for this economy, for this, oh, these amazing broken people. It's awesome. It really is. It's amazing. Thank you. So, Lord, I acknowledge the fact that you're God, that you came, were born a virgin, lived a sinless life. So that, why? So that you were crucified three days later, alive. Why? Because you conquered death. You conquered the very essence of what is busted about our world. So that we believe in you. We invite you in. We open the door that you're pounding on. And we say, yes, Lord, I surrender. I offer myself a living sacrifice for you. Not my will, but yours. Yes, I have these dreams. I choose to put them aside and to put my weight on you, the living center. Because I don't want a philosophy. I don't want a religion. I want Jesus. Lord, I want you. You're amazing, amazing, wonderful name. Amen.